Okay, this morning we are going to jump into the second part of the book of Colossians, uh, which is a, a short little piece of correspondence between Paul and uh, some, some new believers there. Uh, we looked at the first part last week, and uh, I, last week I gave you, I don't know if you remember, a brief rundown of the history of humanity, and it was this that we... We, we rejected God, right? We invited sin, death, corruption into the world. And the rest of human history is one of two approaches to deal with the consequences of that. One is to reject God entirely and say, we're going to do this on our own, which has its own set of problems. And then the other option is to is uh, religion, which is how do we convince the gods to be on our side, right? because this is kind of a crazy place down here sometimes. I don't know if you watch the news, but it gets a little weird. And so uh, people for generations, for centuries, for millennia, have come together and said, we need, we need a higher power on our side. Otherwise, we're in trouble. So how do we convince them? And that's religion, right? And Paul is addressing that with a group that has been raised with that view of religion. So what I'm going to deal with this morning as a principle, as a truth connected to the gospel, is one that I have had the most difficult time training my heart to believe. You guys know what I mean when I say, like, I agree with it, but that's not how I operate, right? Like, I'm, I'm on board with the idea, but that's not where my heart naturally goes. Um, for me personally, this is a principle that I have, I have wrestled to try to really walk in the reality of for a number of years. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to walk through uh, a good part of the second chapter of Colossians, and then we're going to peek into the third chapter. But this is going to be our, our flow of thought this morning. It's going to go like this. Okay. 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 Wait, what? Oh. Okay. That's our outline for this morning. So, Paul is writing to a group of people who have already believed how many of you, after receiving Christ, ran into more problems than you were hoping for? Anyone? How many of you, after, after forming a relationship with God and after believing in Him, uh, were surprised by how difficult it was to walk in obedience to Him at times, right? I, before I got married, was going to be an amazing husband. I had planned it out. I was going to kill it. It was going to be incredible. In fact, I would put other husbands to shame. And then, and then I got married. And was at first shocked, and then dismayed, and then depressed by the level of selfishness that, that surfaced in my own heart as a result of that relationship. 
I am not doing this as well as I was supposed to be doing this, right? I remember my dad reading us stories from the Old Testament when I was a kid, hearing the stories and thinking to myself as a child, those dumb Israelites just do what God says already. Don't you see the pattern here? You disobey and it goes south. And I found disobedience in my own heart. What happens after relationship with Christ in the ongoing move towards walking with him? So here we go. Ready? I'm going to read you a couple of... uh, I'm going to read some chunks, and then I'm going to give you a little summary statement to kind of pull it together, okay? So here we go. When you were dead in your transgressions... Past, right? When you were dead... In your transgressions, the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, Jesus, made you alive together with him. This is gospel one-on-one, or 101. You are alive in relationship with God because you have been united with him. That happened by faith, right? You were united with Jesus. Uh, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I am one with him. So when you were dead, he, Jesus, made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. There was a certificate saying, these are all the things you've done wrong. You've screwed all of these things up. And as a result, you owe God and all of these other people all of these things. Jesus took that and said, paid in full. It's done deal. No outstanding debt. And it says that he nailed it to the cross. He said that, that, that certificate of debt was hostile to us. It was not nice to us. Jesus took it out of the way, nailed it to the cross, and in doing so, he disarmed all of those who would bring accusations against you, the rulers and authorities. In fact, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Jesus. So, here's the summary. Jesus obliterated the barrier between you and God. This is the first part where you go, okay, obliterated. It's gone. It's not there anymore. He took it away. The barrier was your sin, your failure, your mistakes. On and on and on, he eliminated it. Therefore, in light of this truth, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drinks or in regards to feasts and festivals, new moons or Sabbath days. What he's talking about here is all of the, the ceremonial laws from the Old Testament, right? Where they, like something like the Passover, where they had a, this uh, ceremony that they would do each year at Passover. Paul says, these are things that were just a shadow of something that was still coming. And that thing that was still coming was... Christ was Jesus. The substance of those things was pointing to Jesus. Here's the summary. Paul says, don't let yourself be condemned again by laws that were always pointing you to Jesus to begin with. Right? So someone comes along and says, Mm-mm-mm-mm. you're not doing Passover correctly. If you don't do Passover correctly, God's not going to smile on you. And if he doesn't smile on you, your life's going to be miserable. 
Paul says, you do realize that all of those things were pointing to Jesus, and we have Jesus. He continues, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. How? By delighting in self-abasement, that is, they're very harsh on the, on the body, on the flesh, um, hard, on, hard on themselves, or the worship of angels, or maybe taking stands on visions, inflated without cause by their fleshly minds. And this is where they make the mistake. They are not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and the ligaments grows with a growth, which is from God. He says, there are people who have come along who are in your life that are robbing you of the highest prize. What is the highest prize that they don't care about, that they don't hold on to? Jesus. He says they don't cling to the head. And yet what they do instead is they offer you these other distractions in the form of like some kind of righteousness and say, no, 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 we need to get back to all of the list of things that you're supposed to be doing and not doing. Paul says, stop listening to religious people who ignore Jesus. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. You have relationship with the Son of God. Why would you pay attention to people who don't care about that and instead prioritize a list of do's and don'ts? He continues, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, so you've, again, you've been united with him, why? As if you were living in the world, do you submit to decrees like don't, ta- don't handle, don't taste that, don't touch that? In accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. So you need to track closely here because if you read the whole testimony of Paul, Paul is actually not down on walking a life of obedience. It's actually not what he's against. What he's saying here is, if you have Jesus, and that's the highest prize, why do you keep doing things to try to earn him if you already have him? Why do you, why do you work so hard to uphold all of these, these minutiae in an attempt to gain what you already have? Stop trying to earn what you've already been given. You've already been granted life in Jesus. We say, okay, I'm tracking. You tracking? I'm tracking. There's only one problem. I get all of that, and I'm thankful for it. But Aaron, you don't understand. Like, I have these things in my life. I have these things in my heart. I have appetites. I have uh, sinful tendencies that are contrary to God's will. And I continue to be defeated by them. I know I have Jesus, and that's great. What I need, though, is I need to work harder on myself. 
I need to, I need to like, I need to drive out these flaws. I need more discipline in my life. I need more conviction in my life. I need to get myself psyched up to overcome these sin issues in my life. Anyone here ever like psyched yourself up to do better by making promises to God? No, no, you understand. This time, I promise I'm never going to do that again. How'd that go for you? Or I keep myself accountable by, by focusing on my failures and sharing them with others, right? Other people need to see my failures so that uh, I will be motivated to continue working on them. And we eventually redefine some of the basic promises and outcomes of the gospel, that is grace, joy, and peace. We redefine grace as, as God kindly and patiently waiting on me to get it together. That's God's grace. Joy is what I experience after uh, putting it together and having a good day, doing well, I experience joy, right? Because I did it. I pulled it off today. I had a good day. And peace is what we experience when we can, when we can string enough of those days together. And all of those things flow from me. Now Paul's going to drop the hammer. These are matters. All of this all of this careful attention to all of the do's and the don'ts. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom. They seem to be smart. They seem to be spot on. It seems like the right thing. The appearance of wisdom in self-made religion. Remember, that's man's religion. What are the things that I've got to do? I actually heard it defined this way recently, or read it defined this way, that godliness is doing enough of the right things and avoiding enough of the wrong things. That equals godliness. That's self-made religion, because it's focused on myself. Self-made religion, self-abasement that is uh, uh, walking with like a tremendously low view of me, Severe treatment of the body that is harshly disciplining my body to reign in its appetites. And then Paul says this, but these are of no value against fleshly indulgences, which means your own appetites and sinful tendencies. Meaning that all of that very focused effort on correcting the things about you that are wrong produces a net gain of zero. All of the focus on your sin issues do not ultimately diminish the appetites that drive them. If you are failing in your battle against sin, it's probably, be, 
uh, probably because you're focusing on it. If overcoming sin is your highest goal, you will never attain it. I have set a clear goal and a clear strategy for myself. I have made a commitment to God and made myself accountable to others to never think about the color purple again. So how do I do this? Well, you got to be on it, right? You got to be you got to be into it. I start my morning. I recite to myself 30 times to begin my day. Aaron, do not think about the color purple. And if I do think about the color purple, I immediately tell a friend, you know what, I messed up today. I was thinking about the color purple. And so we talk it through, my obsession with the color purple, right? Paul says, you, you're not getting anywhere. And here's his answer. Colossians 3, therefore, if you have been raised, past tense, the risen Christ is in you, if you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and fix your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. What is lacking from all of my efforts is the motivation of love for God, which is the summary and the intent of all of the commandments. In fact, the only antidote to my destructive and ultimately dissatisfying desires is a superior desire. If you want to fix your mind, if you want to fix your heart, if you want to fix your behaviors, fix them on Christ. You cannot fix your relationship problems by making relationship problems your highest priority. You cannot fix your money problems by making your money problems your highest priority. You cannot fix your sinful appetites by making your sinful appetites your highest priority. There is only one strategy to overcoming, and that is that we would fully and growing in our capacity to fix our minds on Christ, to, to stimulate our love and affection for Jesus. And as that grows and we discover in ways that you don't even know now, you could not comprehend now, discover the satisfaction and joy and peace that come through that relationship, what happens is that you will one day notice almost without, uh, almost without awareness in some areas of your life that these very powerful appetites have been crowded out by your love for Jesus, right? There has not been room left for them. This is what I do when my sin surfaces. 
I go, if you could just give me one minute, in fact, if you could look somewhere else for just a second, I'll be right back. And then I go over here, I try to get it all together, right? Because I want to show God something impressive. And uh, so I work on it. And as I work on it, how am I making more of a mess of this? Uh, I'm going to need maybe five more minutes, okay? And so then I work some more, right? And Paul says, all of that is fruitless. You're not going to overcome by focusing on your problems. You overcome by focusing on what you've already been given, which refers us back to chapter one of Colossians. The incomparable God has already been given to you. He dwells in you. He's forming his image in you and enabling his purposes through you. It's already happening. But it is the enemy's strategy to capitalize on your sense of guilt your shame and your failure by convincing you to rebuild all of the barriers that Christ already obliterated. And he does this by keeping you focused on your failures. By keeping you focused on compliance or non-compliance. And Paul says, stop being defrauded of your prize. Stop allowing anyone in your life to take your attention off of Jesus. Go after him, pursue him, learn to love him, and learn of his love for you. And when Jesus takes his rightful place, which is a lifetime effort, But as Jesus takes his rightful place, guess what? All everything else follows. All else follows that. God, I'm I'm honestly blown away by how quickly I I am distracted into my own efforts to get it together. And how quickly I lose sight of the value of knowing you, abiding with you, walking with you, and clinging to you as my only source of hope and grace, my place of victory. God, would you teach us to cling only to you? Renew our hearts, even now as we come before you in worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Once you stand with us.